This is Pave It Black. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Pave It Black, the official podcast of the National Asphalt Pavement Association. My name is Richard Willis. And I'm Brett Williams. We started this season by talking about safety being one of the core values for asphalt contractors. And if you look right behind safety, I would probably say that quality is next in line. Producing and constructing high-quality asphalt mixtures allows contractors to be competitive and make sure that we're providing smooth and durable roads for the driving public. But where does this all start? In the lab. Without the lab, contractors are really blind to what the plant is doing. The mix design starts in the lab. The lab ensures that the plant is actually producing the design. And today, labs are even evaluating which mixtures may perform better than others using performance tests. So to help us learn a little bit more about what happens in some asphalt labs, we've asked Samantha Dixon from Reeves Construction to be here with us. Welcome to the podcast, Samantha. Hey guys, thank you for this opportunity. I'm glad to be here. So Samantha, to start off, I'm kind of curious. I think most college graduates, when they get their civil engineering degree, don't necessarily picture themselves in a materials lab. So I'd like to maybe hear a little more about how you got to where you are today and maybe the stories of your experience or how you actually ended up working in a materials lab. Sure. So I went to Auburn University. This is where I received my bachelor's in civil engineering and my master's, and I specialized in pavements and materials. Really what got me into the pavement section is I fell into it. That's what a lot of people that I also ask, they either say they knew someone in the industry or they just fell into pavements. Honestly, when I first started civil engineering in school, pavements wasn't even on my radar, as it is for many people. You don't really even take your materials class until late in your degree. So what really got me into it is once I took this course, there were three things that really stood out to me. One was the potential for sustainability in this field was immaculate. And that's because it was already a reality. And I wanted to be a part of that. The second being, I enjoyed the lab work. We had a lab course that we had to take and I like to get my hands dirty. I felt like I could really understand that material that I was working with. But to me, the most important part was the professors in the specialty were very passionate about their work. And that was really contagious for me. I think a lot of people don't probably have a good idea of what a typical day in the life is like as a lab engineer for an asphalt company. Do you spend most of your time making samples, evaluating data, doing research on on new types of tests? And I know there are different types of labs, and you worked with with Coloss in their lab up in Cincinnati, and there are other QA, QC-type labs. Tell us a little bit about your experience that you had in Cincinnati. Sure. So I started working at Coloss Solutions as an HMA lab engineer right out of college. I worked there for three years. My day-to-day, so typically before that day, I would already have it planned out the next day or so. Because time management in terms of testing is such a big aspect. You really have to think about the next day. Okay, what materials do I need? What steps do I need to take? What needs to be in the oven tonight? Oh, is that equipment's calibration up to date? Or does someone else already have dibs on that equipment? So typically, I would spend at Cola Solutions maybe 80% of my time in the lab 
fabricating, testing, and about 20% on the computer, writing reports, uh, talking to our subsidiaries, making sure their needs are met, and giving them my recommendations to move forward. So that's typically what I did at Coloss Solutions. Another huge aspect to that was, what does upper management know about these tests? They may not realize that DCT from scratch takes at least a week from fabrication up until processing your data. So you also had to be able to communicate a lot with upper management, people who have not been in the lab very often, and telling them really the amount of time that it's going to take. Because a lot of times you hear, oh, run this test. That might only take a day. It actually doesn't. To have an accurate mix design, that's a two-week project right there. So if someone turns around a mix design to you in three days, they probably didn't do it correctly. So I'd like to know a little more about why you do this job. What do you like about it? What really brings you satisfaction or meaning? I liked this job so much because it was hands-on and there was always a new challenge because we were there for our subsidiaries and it was really up to them what our days entailed and what they requested. It could always change day to day. And there were times where the work could be so rewarding because you would work diligently on a project and then you could witness it being paved and you could observe how well it is performing. And I appreciated that opportunity to do research and be able to apply it to the real world and help create something so tangible. I also enjoyed that I was able to utilize a lot of my knowledge from my research in grad school. In that same environment, I was also learning so much about high-performance testing and the industry simultaneously. So I felt appreciated, but I also felt like it was a chance to further my education. Something you mentioned just briefly about with like looking at things like performance tests, I would say 99%, if not more, of the country, as they're driving around on highways and local roads, they just think of it as asphalt. And they don't really think about all that goes into doing a mix. Like you said, it could take two weeks to do a mix design. And that's if you get everything right the first time on your aggregate blends. As someone who spent years in the lab, can you talk to us a little bit about the opportunities to really kind of engineer asphalt? Or what are some of the opportunities for really developing better performing mixtures that are out there? You're completely right. A lot of times I do hear from people, they ask what I do for a living and I tell them, they always think, wait, I can buy a bag of that at the local hardware store. I've been asked that many times, but it is true. We're constantly engineering our mixes for maintaining or increasing our performance. It depends on your local materials. It depends on the binder you're using. They may be called the same thing. You may have limestone and a 64 minus 22. I could have the same thing, but they won't necessarily work exactly alike. You can't adopt a mix design from elsewhere without testing it on your own materials first. And we're also constantly striving to incorporate more sustainable materials, be it wrap or another material we're in excess of that we wish to recycle. And we always have to adapt to these changes because they won't all have the same effect. So something that we're really moving towards in this industry, and it's actually really rewarding being able to witness it, is balanced mix design. Because our QC labs, they all know SuperPave, where we optimize our aggregates with our consensus properties and our blend, and then we optimize our binder content and assess for moisture susceptibility. But 
in Balanced Mixed Design, we're able to take that extra step where we can go into performance testing. And we're trying to design a mix that will be stiff enough to resist rutting, but flexible enough to resist cracking. And at Koala Solutions, we were able to really provide that service to all of our subsidiaries because that's expensive equipment. So a lot of times they could reach out to us and it would purely be so we could run those performance tests for them because they wouldn't be able to get it for their own lab themselves. Our lab was basically their lab. And I've seen a lot of DOTs are now really starting to implement, hey, let's do ideal testing. We want you guys to do this testing. Here's some incentives for it. And that's really different from when I first started. I mean, even just a few years ago, I see it picking up and be putting into practice much more. I'd be interested to hear maybe about a day that's memorable that maybe isn't the typical day that you kind of ran through or your typical duties that you've done, but maybe there's a story or something that was interesting that you got to work on in your experience working with materials or performance testing or on a project. I'm not sure if there's anything out there, but I'd be curious if you had some. Sure. I would say one of the more memorable experiences that I had that was not typical day to day was, I'm going to be honest, I'm not sure how much I can say for proprietary reasons. (laughs) So I'm going to be a little bit broad here. But one time that I remember really well was one of our subsidiaries was having difficulty out in the field. And they had just paved this brand new road. Beautiful. And in three days, it was failing. It was experiencing all these issues. And they cut cores for us. And we looked at these cores. And we really just needed to figure out what happened because the mix design looked fine. It was a very common commercial mix for them. And a big part of that was we had to slice these cores up and figure out what happened. And it turned out there was contamination in the roadway. And then we had to figure out what that contamination was. And then after that, we had to figure out when did it get there? Because at this point, whose fault is it? Is it our subsidiary? Did they put that contaminant there? Or was it a civilian after the fact? Because what this tells us is who is going to pay for the repaving? And that's a pretty penny. So being involved in this process where we were able to scientifically deduce what the contaminant was, how it got there, how it entered the pavement and what different levels of the pavement it infiltrated and determining who was at fault. That was so exciting to me because I felt like that was textbook servicing for our subsidiaries. And we could really help them out in a situation like that. Because what happens after that is now we have to go to court. And what we can do is we can break down all this technical information hey, this is what we found. This is how this proves it is your fault or it is their fault. And you have to be able to break it down and communicate it in a way that someone who's never been in the pavement industry before can understand. And for me, that was one of the most memorable projects I was ever a part of. That actually sounds pretty interesting. And I'd like to go back a little bit and talk about balanced mix design and 
if you look at most contractors across the United States, they're not set up like like Coloss that has this big central lab with the solutions so that they can do all the performance testing for them. There are a few contractors that have that ability, but not everyone. As we start to move towards balanced mix designing and using performance tests to really basically give the DOTs and roadway owners more confidence that they're going to last like we're wanting them to. What do you see as some of the benefits of moving in that direction? But also, what do you see as some of the challenges? Because while I see opportunities, I don't think it's going to be something where we throw a switch and everyone's doing it the next day. It's going to take some work, but I think we have to have a good idea of what are the benefits that it's going to bring, but what are those hurdles that we kind of have to jump over to get there? Certainly. We won't immediately see the benefits right now. If we start running ideal tests, this cracking test to tell us how good is our pavement, we can't run one and say, okay, that's it. It's a good mix. These numbers that performance testing gives us, especially for cracking tests, they're all relative. So what each state needs to do is start benchmarking their own threshold that they need to meet for their mixes. And really the way that I see them doing that is they pave a road that they've ran their test on, they have their numbers, and then they can see how well that road is performing in the future. And creating this database for them to refer to down the line so they can determine in their state with their materials what constitutes a good mix or a bad mix, that will be really helpful to them in the far future just because they can look at that data and they can really feel confident that what they're doing now is meeting their previous expectations. So it'll take a long time to get there because everyone needs to create this benchmark for themselves. But I know you look at Virginia, they have a minimum CT index of 70. And then you go to NCAT and I believe theirs is maybe in the 40s range for their own mixes. And so it really depends on your own materials that you're working with. You mentioned communication, I think, several times and talked about working with different entities, either different subsidiaries or different people within the organization. When I picture the lab, I really picture the lab as almost like a hub in a sense where you're integrating with production, with placement, with project management, with all these different parts of the company to really find that quality solution that gets the company where they need to go. So Could you maybe talk about how the lab integrates with all the different pieces of the company? Sure. So at Coloss Solutions, we served our subsidiaries, whether they needed us for troubleshooting, aggregator soils testing, performance testing, research, training, product development, any other technical support, you name it, what they requested, we would supply. So typically they would call us, say, hey, we have this problem, or we really want to start this product. We want to get a patent on it. We want to do some field trials. Can you help us? Can you help us make this product the best that we possibly can? I mean, most of the time we would say yes. I can't think of one time where we had to say no. And that was our whole existence was to serve our subsidiaries, provide them the resources they needed to improve their material, their staff, or just assist in making their work a little bit easier. Because we would also provide 
training. And a huge part of technical work is training. There isn't necessarily enough training or enough structured training. And that was something that we could provide because training takes so long. And you want to make sure that every test you're running is repeatable. Repeatability between labs is so incredibly important because like we were saying before, a lot of these numbers are relative. These minimum thresholds for performance testing, these numbers are based off of our own testing. So if we're not repeatable, those numbers become useless. So this was something that when communicating with our subsidiaries, we could provide for them. And often once a year, we'd have a technical meeting where we could all meet up and we could go through the projects of the year. And now this subsidiary is learning information from another subsidiary. So many people across this company were very well connected. So you mentioned communication and you just talked about repeatability, which in my mind, that's, that's kind of consistency as two qualities that people that work in the laboratory would need to have or skills that they would need. Is there anything else that you would say if, if you were looking at hiring a lab engineer or a lab tech that you would say, you know what, that's a skill set that that person really needs because if they don't have it, our company is not going to be as successful. Yes. I would say there are a few things. One is time management. You have to be able to keep track of several timers going off at once. And a lot of times it's also a matter of planning out your day or a few days ahead of time to ensure that you can get this testing on the correct schedule that will meet all specifications. Two would be their ability to understand the material and notice if something is wrong. They don't necessarily have to know how to fix it, but I've worked before with people who would see an issue and they would just let it slide. And this is not a scenario where that's really okay because you can ruin a week's worth of work just letting one thing slip. But I really felt like in our lab, we did a pretty good job of that. We had a fairly good training schedule and we would ensure that they understood one test in full before we would move on to the next one and the next one. Another important aspect is just their willingness to learn because we want our technicians to be just as well-rounded as the rest of us. They end up running all of the tests. I really like co-op solutions because we didn't divide the work. We didn't have grunt work here or one person in the aggregates room, one person in the hot mix room. We felt like that would really limit our technicians and would actually lead to more issues in the lab because they're not learning every different aspect of the mix. So once you learn every single aspect, then you can really understand what you're doing and be able to see issues that may arise. I'm curious if there's anything about working at Coloss or about Coloss that maybe somebody that doesn't work there might find interesting. Maybe something that over your experience, you learned about the company and thought, oh, that's a interesting thing about the company that I didn't know before I started here. I will say when I first started working there, what I really liked about the company was 
that it is a large company. And I agree, you can work for a small company and it can be really intimate. But I like the potential opportunities that they had to move all over the world, really, because it's so large, you can transition not just to a different position, but also to a different location completely, which was something I was able to take advantage of in my recent transfer, because now I'm at Southeast Emulsions under Reese and Colos, I was able to move closer to loved ones and really jump to this whole different side. They really don't have very many labs like Colos Solutions because of all the equipment. It's so expensive. But while I was there, I was able to learn so much hot mix, but the binder lab was right there. So I could jump to the other side and I could learn all about binders and emulsions. And that's something that you don't see very often in this industry is a lot of people, if you ask them, hey, you're in pavements, are you hot mix or are you binders? People usually pick one. So I feel like I'm in a special scenario where I was hot mix and now I'm jumping into binders and emulsions. And that's almost unheard of. You don't hear that very often in this industry. You kind of associate just with one. But I got to have this opportunity where I could jump onto that other side. Well, Samantha, we want to thank you for being here on the podcast with us today and helping people understand a little bit more about what can be done in the lab and what you can do to really advance asphalt and and engineer it for better performance. Thank you so much for having me on here. I'm an avid listener, so I feel really honored to be on this podcast with you. Yeah, thanks for joining us. Thanks. I think today, one of my main takeaways or one of the things that I kind of picked up on that I thought was interesting is when you look out there, I don't think all companies are going to approach quality the same, but the approach that we talked about today where they've centralized the resources and really have a focus on quality and have put a central hub for all the company to really lean on and put the resources there, put the people there, put the equipment there to really have quality be a core essential piece of the business and have the ability to really come and find the answers when the company needs it and to get the customer the best product every time. Yeah, I thought it was interesting when we started talking a little bit about skill sets and some of the things that mentioned earlier, like communication or time management. A lot of times when people think about quality control technicians, yeah, they think about someone who has attention to detail and you have to think about consistency because a person has to follow a spec every time the same way to reduce variability. But communication is such an important part of that role. I remember when I was teaching civil engineering materials in college, I would have the students go through the lab and they'd have to write reports and they hated it. But being able to write a report that explains to an owner or someone who will eventually be running this through a plant, what's going on with the mix or helping them find those solutions and then communicate potential challenges or pitfalls is so important. I think actually having someone in that lab who knows asphalt, who's been educated on it and knows the different parts of the business besides just how to run a test, they understand how it's made, how it's put down, how it's compacted, could really, really produce a lot of dividends for companies because you're allowing them to help other parts of your business succeed beyond just the QC lab. 
Thanks for listening to Pave It Black. Visit asphaltpavement.org slash podcast to find more episodes, suggest a topic or guest, become a sponsor, or learn more about NAPA. Pave It Black is produced and copyrighted by the National Asphalt Pavement Association. Music by Colleague. As always, thanks to the dedicated workforce connecting diverse communities all across America. Keep on paving it black.